Hello, White Rabbit. With whom are you talking today? Today I'm talking with Nick, our very own IT wizard. He takes care of all the IT infrastructure at CASA and is the lord of the digi lessons. His mission? To empower the CASA students to interact with the digital world in a responsible way. Today's story starts with Nick sharing his childhood adventures as a student. And then a magical conversation happened. Enjoy! How about we start with why did you decide to bring your daughter to a Montessori school? Right. <laughs> This good question to start with. All right, so my primary school wasn't that good of an experience. It was a regular Catholic school, uh, which meant you you stay in a classroom, you're seated right next to somebody else. Uh, there's like at least 20 children in the classroom and there's one teacher. And the teacher is the master of the classroom. So they tell you what to do and they tell you when to shut up, which was, I would say, almost my go-to line. Um, or they throw you out and you have to report to the principal. That happened to me in a primary school quite a few times already. And then I had the problem, I think, I learned quite easily. Yeah. So I wasn't that enticed to do more. I understood most of the things that were going on as long as I paid attention. But I had a hard time paying attention, keeping to pay attention. Yeah. So I was distracted a lot. And I was, I, I get that. I was also distracting other students at that time. But that, that formed my experience in primary school. Right. That made me realize when I was a parent and was thinking about a school for my own daughter, our educational system is very dependent on the passion and the skills of a teacher. Which kind of skills? You know, for example, in the case of a Montessori guide, you can think about the technical skill of knowing how to use a material or present a material. Right. So that is, let's say, more technical skills in this context. Definitely, yes. But then you have all the soft skills, which will be communication, empathy, listening, leadership. How do you get a student to pay attention? How do you get them to learn? How do you get them to understand that's actually a really practical skill that they're learning? I was brought to a school where learning was about you just shut up and listen to the teacher. Yeah. Because that's the truth. That's the knowledge you need to gain and you need to prove that you have that same knowledge. And for some that might work. But I found, at least for me, it doesn't. So one of the things that brought me to CASA or made me decide that CASA was the better school for my daughter is it wasn't about their knowledge is most important. They would guide you and help you find the path towards knowledge. And it's not the same path for every student. It's an individual path based on your background, on your skills, on your aptitude of learning. And that's beautiful. But there's another thing, part of CASA, There's not one teacher in the group. So if you have an option there and there's more than one, now you're not learning despite all the odds with this one person that you don't like. You have the opportunity to go to another one. Maybe it's just topic-based and the other one can explain it a, a little bit differently. Maybe you just like the other person better. Maybe this other person understands you a little bit better and knows a little bit more about how to coach you into starting your own learning. So there's differences within all these children. It never makes sense to give them one year. And often in the schools, you have several years with the same teacher. Yeah. And you're fully dependent on that. Your uh, educational development is fully dependent on one person. Yeah. So the minute we stepped into CASA and we got an explanation about how they would do these education, yeah. 
I was convinced this is the way it, it has to be. And did you visit any other Montessori schools besides Casa? Casa was the only Montessori school. We went to, uh, I think they were called Dalton schools. There were different methodologies about helping a child learning. Exactly. But they were all still based on one teacher per classroom. Teacher yeah. makes the program of the day. You know what? I really like that you shared your experience in primary school because we probably have children at Casa that are in a similar situation, but they are not able to articulate it the way you just did. So tell me, did anything change when you went to high school? So I went through high school, uh, which again was easy for me and I was spending most of the time outside of the classroom when I was uh, misbehaving and not paying attention. Uh, but I did like it because I was challenged more. Yeah. Um, so that part went well. Uh, I never worked for a nine or a ten, which would be the, the highest grade in the Dutch schools. Uh, I just worked for six. So whenever I could, uh, you know, uh, average out by doing a little bit more of this, uh, then that would be fine for me. Let me pause you there for a moment. I think that for many people, a child that is just going for a six is not doing their best, right? And especially if you are a perfectionist, this attitude is going to rub you the wrong way. And you will quickly start judging that child as being lazy. When you judge your child or other people, this is your opinion. This is your observation on the other one, right? You can be a perfectionist, but don't judge the other one if they're not. I think the minute that you realize that you can still observe and you can still show by example, you can show what you can deliver if you do it your way. And that allows them the opportunity to observe you and learn from it, or think, I think I know a better way. And if you can just look at that and say, okay, that's fine too. To me, this is freedom, right? If we can allow other people to do it differently, as long as we don't hurt one another, and we can keep each other safe, then this diversity makes sense, makes absolute sense. Let me see. So what you are saying is, show what happens when you aim for a 10, but remain open and curious if your child wants to do it differently. All right, let's try that out. I was the kind of child that will always work hard and aim for a 10. And will get really frustrated when I got a 6 or a 7. So tell me, Nick, if it was possible for you to reach a 9 or a 10 in high school, why wouldn't you put the effort? It's a good question. I never felt challenged like that. Not, not in sports, and I think ne in, in nothing in life. To me, it makes more sense to do good enough and think about how to improve it. It's more important to deliver this well enough bit, this increment, this iteration, if you like, than not publishing until it's perfect. So working towards perfect is a good thing. But it's not about not delivering anything until it's perfect. To me, it's about if it's good enough, then deliver, which is more important, but to me also more valuable. That's a great approach when you have learned to reflect on your own work and are motivated to improve it. But how do you coach children to develop this kind of mindset? Don't always tell them that something needs to be improved, but allowing them to look for that themselves. Sure, you, we can help them there. Sometimes they will say, I'm done, right? So I had this assignment, I did the assignment, so I'm done. Okay, is there anything that you think you could improve? Do you see anything you can improve? Give them the opportunity to look at it and think about it. 
I see what you mean. Instead of forcing them to be passive and listen to the way you would improve it, you invite them to actively look for improvements themselves. I don't want to become a commercial, but it's the just do it mentality, right? And this is the most beautiful thing that you can learn to your children. You can try it, right? Of course, you have to um, help them with the risks. I think in Montessori, they call that the prepared environment. You have to understand risks and make sure that they're not uh, being in an unsafe environment or risking their health. Yeah. But this mentality of doing stuff, especially realizing it by trying stuff, you might get there. To me, this is the most valuable thing. There are many big challenges and our children's challenges seem to be bigger than whatever we had in history. So how do you equip them? How do you help them have a beautiful, valuable life? Indeed. And I would say that the incredible expansion that our digital world has experienced in the past 40 years is definitely high in that list of big challenges. Is this the reason that we have digi lessons at CASA? Right. I was talking to Tessa a lot about, look at society, right? IT is everywhere. Children are on smartphones, tablets. They know how to use them. They're continuously browsing the web. So parents get concerned. What is the data and the information that they are consuming? I don't see everything they're seeing. And I love the Montessori method, but I was also questioning her, why is there no IT? Do we not need to prepare them for this way of working? Are they not using this tablet or smartphone at home? So what are we going to do about that? How do you help the children responsibly work with internet? And there wasn't that much happening. Yeah. At that time, I was in the startups. So uh, when we started, it was me helping out Panji. Panji would be there. He is a teacher. He knows about how to talk to the children, how to manage the classroom in a way that they can learn. And I knew about IT, so I would set something up. And we just tried some stuff. So... You do something, you try it, and then you realize it, you, there's many improvements that you can do. At first, it was a, a terrible time to log in, and now all children can log in with their own account. And when was this? This was pre-corona? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, years ago. And did you start in upper elementary, lower elementary? No, we decided to start in upper elementary because we felt like there's more aptitude there for the children to work with computers. And I think we, we started with code.org, so they learned some computational thinking that our government likes to call it, which is one of the categories in, in the primary schools program. The program that will be obligatory in, I think, one or two years of time. You need to get some 21st century skills in your educational system. And what do they mean with computational thinking? There's a lot you can read on about that. To me, it's about logic and how to stack things together so they can make a program. I see. So it is more about programming, basically. But what about the challenges that parents face with the digital world on a daily basis? You know, like how to manage the time that the children are being exposed to digital devices like the phones and the tablets. I think many kids right now, they're drawn to a screen because we're, uh, we're living the on-demand generation. You go to a screen, you press a few buttons and you can watch anything you want. Yeah. I can also imagine that the, the children are fascinated about these devices because all the adults are looking at them all the time. Right. This is my job. So I'm behind the screen exactly. a lot of the time. So how can I say you're not allowed to spend more time than one hour on the screen when I'm continuously on the screen? And that's a really difficult thing. I, I think every parent has to find their own way on, on this rule 
whether you make it or not or how you cope with it i always try to think of it like how do they use the screen how do they use the computer and there's definitely a huge aptitude of learning and you can coach them you can help them with uh, how to do it so you are after making them independent in the sense of when you are not there and they're having the device that they can make the right choices. Right. That would be the ideal goal. And I realize you're not there the first try. Right? Exactly. Uh, but I do try to, for instance, tell my daughter, set the alarm clock. Yeah. First spend some time working on stuff. Yeah. And then spend half an hour on entertainment and do your WhatsApp, do your YouTube movies on whatever. Just not using your mind as much if you want to do that. Yes. And then go back into taking a next uh, go at whatever you're trying to learn. You know what I'm thinking? This is another example in which you are focused on developing the independence of the child, which is at the core of Montessori philosophy. Can you tell us a bit more about how you are aligning your DG lessons with the way that Montessori education is implemented in the classroom? To me, this Montessori method is about, do I have a prepared environment where any individual can step in and with a few directions, they can try stuff. They can find their material. Yeah. And what are you going to do today? That would be the question number one, right? To me, this is the 180 difference of when I was going to school. And I think this way of looking at it, what's your plan? What do you want to learn? How can I help you get there? That makes, makes so much more sense. Yeah. Yeah, and so in a way, I try to digi similarly by offering stuff there and not saying this is what we do today. Sometimes I do. I try to be complementary to what they're doing. For instance, the cosmic themes or the themes that they choose. I I think about how do I incorporate that into a digi lesson. And the other way around, I think about how do I stop digi being a specialty that you can go to and make it part of the Montessori materials that are available in the classroom. Yeah. For some things, if I do something odd that's new, I will try to do it and be there and be helpful and say, okay, I want to try this thing, so who, who will join me? It's optional. But learning how to type on a keyboard, to me, should be a generic thing that you can do in the classroom as well. Yeah. And it's not dependent on, on me being there. That would be my end goal, because these are basic skills that our children are facing and it makes sense that they learn how to work with it. Before we go, I would like to ask you one last question. You are the person in charge of the IT infrastructure at CASA. So you took care of setting up the whole digital learning environment that the guys use for online education during the pandemic. So what did you take away from that experience? I remember just before the lockdown, I realized when we start to talk about working from home, this is going to be an online experience. How do we keep it a personal, safe online experience? Hmm. So I said, I can create accounts for all the children. I can set them up safely online and then they have their own agenda. Uh, so you can invite the right children for your online session. So now we're online. Kids have an account. And of, there, were, there were problems, there were failures, but in general... In a weekend's time, Casa went into an online school. I was amazed. Yeah. And I was surprised, really happily surprised about the flexibility of our guides on how they would change their way of helping our children learn and just going at it. Yeah. So one of the things that I saw happening is the guides were posting stuff about how to create your own material. 
And to me, this should be the default. We should have that way more because sometimes I'm surprised that Montessori can be so expensive in a yeah. way, right? But creating your own material, how powerful is that? Yes, I agree. <laughs> it's, it's a fantastic idea. And uh, I remember talking to my neighbors about how their children were uh, still following online education and they had like once a week a talk, that would be it. That also told me that this, this Montessori philosophy and this method of working, at least as what I'm viewing at Casa, is agile. They are able to cope with this huge change in the world and still continue this path on helping the child find their own way of learning. And it shouldn't matter as much if it's math or reading. I, I understand these are basic skills, but a lot of time it feels to me like this is because our government demands that you have a certain level uh, at a certain age. To me, that doesn't matter that much. Yeah. Because when do you really need them? When are you the independent person that you need to become? And if reading comes later in life to you, why is that wrong? To me, that should be more flexible. And same goes for DG, right? So uh, either you come lower elementary, just when you're there because you want to. Yeah. Or the first time you arrive is in upper elementary and you feel uncomfortable, but you decided that today I'm going to do the challenge. Yeah. And that should be fine either way. Coming back to the lockdowns and how they triggered the development of the IT infrastructure at CASA, I wonder if now that the guys were forced to experience an online educational environment, they would be more curious to experiment with it and perhaps find new ways to do Montessori education online. I, I'm sure they can. That's what they showed me. And I remember that I talked to Tessa about, to me, CASA is the way an online school could be shaped. Yeah. And I do realize that's not with the physical material and the guide being next to the child. But I still think there's a good opportunity for English and Dutch speaking people abroad to be part of CASA. Yeah. That to me is a vision that I hope uh, will be achieved. Thank you, Nick. I love that vision. I, I really do love that vision. And uh, I hope to live to see it happen. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, we can. If we have this vision, there is an opportunity. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think we took some steps already and uh, hopefully we will continue taking steps. Yeah. Hey, if you want to learn more about the practical side of Digi Lessons, stay tuned for the follow-up episode with Nick that will be released in two weeks. And of course, feel free to drop me an email to casastories at casaschool.nl if you have any comments, questions or suggestions for improvement. Hasta pronto! Casa